This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Hey everyone, today's guest is singer, songwriter, and guitarist Corey Brannon from Memphis, Tennessee. Together we take an in-depth look into the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the song, The Prettiest Waitress in Memphis, taken from Corey's second full-length album from 2006 entitled 12 Songs. The record was self-produced by Corey himself and recorded live off the floor, except for a few guitar and vocal overdubs. You can hear this in the performance. It's loose and has a feel at times that it could fall off the rails at any moment, which only adds to the realness and personal feel of the track. Corey mentioned he tries not to put too much emphasis into what the performance sounds like while recording, but rather how it makes him feel. As with a lot of singer-songwriters, the lyrics are chock full of amazing imagery, and they tell a really awesome story that takes a twist at the end that is, in this case, very uplifting. And... Corey fills us all in on why the tuning in this particular song is a little bit funky. For all this and a whole lot more, stick around. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, Corey, how you doing? I'm well. Yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Where are you calling in from today? Memphis. Memphis. You're still you're still there. I love Memphis, Tennessee. What a, what a beautiful city. It's a dump, but it's home. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a dump in one respect. I'm speaking more of all the times I've I've gotten the chance to play there and and uh, you know play down on, on world famous Beale Street. It's always been a blast. Yeah, no, it's it's rad. We did uh, I did about seven in Nashville, and I've been back here for five. I mean, you know, I, I'm when I left here. After uh, my stint of bartending and waiting tables, when I started to tour and stuff, I lived in L.A. and New York and Austin, but kept trying to find a town sort of like Memphis, you know, I kept trying to find uh, something that was still gritty, but had a had a musical legacy, you know. Yeah, and I would say your name has uh, kept popping up. We got a Facebook group for the show and just over and over and over. Corey Brandon, Corey Brandon, people have, people have asked for you. And, you know, I had certainly heard of you researching your your story. It, it, it's incredible. You know, you've, you've been at this now for uh, for about 20 years. Yeah, yeah. 20, around since 99, 20 and some change. Yeah. And how did that, you know, I, I'm always kind of marvel at the fact I've only ever played in a band and I put out a couple solo singles for charity and for some different things. And I go out and play solo shows and, you know, you, you'd like to think, okay, if my band's good for a thousand people in X city that maybe 10% of those people will come out, it's, it's difficult to, <laughs> to get out there as a solo. Per- it, the, that, that uh, equation doesn't work. It's like, why is there only 40 people here tonight? You know, and it's, it's not from an ego standpoint. It's just like, it's tough. I've seen people do the grind, uh, Friends of mine, uh, you know, Chuck Reagan from from Hot Water, Laura Jane Grace, all these people, they've embarked and it's been an uphill grind to get where they're at. I know they've worked incredibly hard. Was Were you ever in a band prior to uh, embarking solo? No, I mean, well, you know, I played guitar since I was 13. You know, I'm, I'm 47 now, so I've been playing. I've, I played in, in metal bands and punk bands and country bands, whoever needed a guitar player in Mississippi. I was trying to hold it down since I was 13, you know. I didn't write songs until I was almost 25. So, and that's when I started doing this, but yeah, I mean, most, once, once I started writing my own music and touring, it was, it was, it's been 90% solo. Uh, you know, I'll piece a band together if there's festivals or there's a run, you know, that, that calls for it. I did, uh, right before the plague, I did like Frank Turner had that, uh, lost weekends thing in Boston. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, get scheduled a band run around that. If there, it makes sense, I'll get banned, but usually, you know, I prefer just me in a van or me in the car and just going. It's a heck of a lot cheaper. Yeah, you don't have to vote on where you're going to fucking eat lunch. You know, you don't yeah, have to get along with going, anyone. You're just going to Denny's, man. No one's mm-hmm. going to contest you right now. That's where you're going. You're going to get a grand slam and call it, a, call it a morning. Yeah, I mean, I fight with myself as much as I would fight with any band, but it's uh, <laughs> it's at least in my head. I got to say, there is something about the Tennessees, the Oklahomas. You know, I was thinking the other day, I don't know if you're familiar with John Moreland. Oh, yeah. John's yeah. a buddy. Yeah. yeah. I, I love John. The, the first time I heard John open his mouth, I almost fell over and I said, 
well, that's not learned. Yeah, no, no, that's the thing. <laughs> you, you have to have that, and you have that in your voice. That's something. I that's appreciate just, that. I appreciate it's, that. It's that, and I, I, you know, I'm I'm reading of of uh, kind of your background, and uh, of course, you you grew up with the musical influences from church and gospel music, and you can hear that in the performance. That's again something that you you just can't uh, uh, can't make up. Yeah, as much as the church fucked me up, it, it, I I got some things out of it, you know, yeah. uh, some things <laughs> that I luckily can't wash off. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned here in John. I uh, I was in uh, my favorite place to play in the country is a place uh, called the Whitewater Tavern in Little Rock, little shithole. And uh, I was in there with Ben from Lucero one night, and uh, neither of us had ever heard John. And and he was just up there on stage, and he started singing, and you know everybody's doing their thing, and uh, he started singing, and Ben and I just went. And we were like, "What the fuck is happening?" We just both like we sat right up front and just didn't talk for an hour and a half, just listening to him. I was like. Wow, that was that was something I just saw. Well, I'm a kind of love it hurts to look at. Maybe we should take it as a sign. When I'm strung out on leaving, exalting all my demons, and you don't care for me enough to cry. I was talking about this the other day. I need it. I need to see it every at least once a year. I need to get my face sort of ripped off by this. I don't you know, it's, there's an intangibility to some of this stuff. Uh, I think uh, the best description I've ever heard is uh, Garcia Lorca calls it the Duende. It's like uh, instead of the, the Western idea of, uh, oh, the muse is going to come down and inspire me, you know, that whole Western idea. The Argentinian or Spanish idea is like Jacob wrestling the angel at the well. It's like there's uh something risked and something can be lost and that you know and and so i find that uh is the explanation for it is it only happens when um time is a component so it can only happen in music and dance because it happens once and it's fucking gone and it uh -huh. doesn't, even doesn't even happen with recording albums you know it happens with live music and and it doesn't leave a a trace and so there's something that can be you know i mean not to get flaky or anything but it could be kind of transcendent and, and I need to find that it just you know, at least once a year to sort of kind of reinvigorate myself. And I remember distinctly seeing Moreland for the first time. I was like, well, that's going to last me at least a year. I was like, that's yeah. it right there. <laughs> well, I've reached out to John. I'm going to try to try to get him on this show. But yeah, there, there's uh, there's also a vulnerability that you're speaking of. And I feel that in your music. I feel that you're kind of laying it out there on the line. And um, sometimes you, you don't get that in other kinds of music all the time, you know, super fast punk rock or metal. But what you're doing is, is something that kind of just hits home and you can feel what I'm calling that vulnerability yeah yeah and i you know for me i just it would be uh, i have to sort of keep myself amused it would be super fucking boring to me to just play my songs like and not change them up all the time and not risk something if I, you know if i just to phone it in i don't right. you know i don't think enough of my my voice or myself and i'm not that i don't find myself that interesting so i i find the show interesting and the 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 engagement and the Oh, what the fuck could happen? You know, I find that <laughs> interesting and intriguing, and that you know, that to me is 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 the whole point of a show. It's like let's get in here and like let's see what happens tonight. That's different, yeah. You know, and if I had a band, I would still. And when I do get a band, I try to incorporate that. I'm just like, you guys are like, let's learn the skeleton of the song. Um, but when I turn around, you know, away from the mic, let's just do whatever. You know, I'll just do whatever. Like when I go back, we'll hit our mark or whatever. And the same with my whole rushing and dragging. And, you know, I'm just, I just tell the bass player and the drummer, I'm like, you guys lock. I'm going to push the beat. I'm going to drag the beat. Don't follow me or we'll be in a ditch, you know, just but follow yeah. me, follow me dynamically up and down. I'm like, but don't, I'm going to rush. I'm going to drag, you know. I'm glad you said that. I've always mentioned that about, about my band. You know, people, it, it's the train wreck about, you know, sometimes you're going to witness live. That's why people go to rodeos. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you don't want everyone to stay on the, stay on the bull. You know, you want to want to see the guy get thrown off 40 feet. And uh, that's an element. There's something about that. And what you said just really resonated with me that I don't find myself that interesting either, but a 
lot of my fans do, and that's why we have the fans because they're they're the ones that that uh, buy the concert tickets and find us interesting and, and want to pay for the train wreck. I want to go back. You know, your first record came out in October two thousand two. The hell you say? Uh, and it's so cool. You, you you got to play the David Letterman show, which is so rad. Yeah, yeah, that was like back in Nam. That was way back. <laughs> yeah, but uh, congratulations on that. And your your second album, twelve songs, uh, came out four years later in two thousand six. And we're going to talk about the prettiest waitress in Memphis, which True. is taken from that album. Who produced the record? I couldn't find any info on that. Uh, uh, I kind I kind of produced those first three myself. Um, now the uh, engineer Jeff Powell, he was an, you know really hands on, so he was great. But yeah, I kind of produced for a while. Just uh, you know, I didn't know what I was doing any more than anything. But I you know it was fun, and I, I've always liked records that are just all over the map. You know, because I, I I sort of write the songs and then I'm like, OK, this song wants to be this or wants to be this. I just sort of let it make up its own mind because I'm not really beholden to a genre. Again, I don't really have I don't have a band at the time. So it's like people have to take it. at, Oh, do I like these lyrics and this this melody? You know, they have to sort of take it at face value instead of like, oh, there's a steel guitar. Fuck that. It's country. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I'm glad I'm glad you said that this is kind of all over the place, especially, you know, kind of how you were producing, because, you know, I'm glad you said it because this track <laughs> is there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about in this that are that are really intriguing to me. I've really uh, been listening to this a lot the past couple of days, probably as I do with with most of my songs on the episode, probably 30 or 40 times I've combed through this. Thing. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Do, no, don't be sorry. That's why I love I love doing this show. Every song <laughs> is its own beast, and everyone's as as interesting as the next one to me, at least. And take us back. Do you do you recall writing the prettiest waitress in Memphis? Yeah, you know it's uh, it's not a person, as a lot of people think. It's a, maybe it's an amalgam. I would I did have a girl I was seeing, um, but she was actually my boss. I was the waitress. <laughs> you know, uh, she was a manager. Um, but she factors into it, but no, I was, I think I was sitting at like the cracker barrel or something. And it was a very homely waitress. And I, I was kind of feeling for her because people were being kind of mean. I was, uh, and so seeing that, I was just like, started writing that song. And I was like, no, nah, I can't write that song. That's, that's just mean. <laughs> so, so and then I just sort of flipped it and, and it's a novelty song in a way. Cause it does all lead towards the twist thing at the end. Uh, oh yeah <laughs> but i i like and it's i've talked about this a bunch but i tend to do uh since i'm, I'm, I'm doing story songs a lot of times i will use a cliched structure you know I'll use i use a thing because instead of ta- say you have a song and you have to set this story up normally you have to set it up and say okay well these are the characters this is the setting this is the whatever and that takes a verse and a chorus and maybe half another verse but if i do guy meets girl in a diner you think you know what it is immediately. And so if, uh-huh. you, if you're using that form, people are like, oh, and you can start fucking with it, like almost right off the bat, you know, you can start twisting it a little bit. And so I like, I like to do that a, a lot of times is use, use these tried structures, you know, like a genre film, you know, like, yeah, you know, um, it's like, you know what you're getting if you go and watch a detective film or, or a heist flick or something, you know, it's the, the, the structure's there and then you can fuck with it, you know? Well, my listeners have heard me say a million times, I, especially the singer-songwriter aspect of the storytelling within the lyrics. I wish I could write lyrics like this. My stories just come out too literal. There's a lot of tongue and cheek going on here. I can kind of read between the lines. I think some of these some of these lines are hilarious, and I can't wait to get to them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean hilarious in a, in a bad or a cheesy way. They're just really, really funny how you got some of the rhyme scheme going here. But I want to jump into the track. It's three minutes and eight seconds long. There's a four-bar main hook, I'm calling it, intro riff. And what's interesting, uh, Corey, about this main hook is it happens five times in the song which is quite a lot but i feel that it's this is an integral part to the song it's so catchy Uh, the main riff is uh, the guitar drums and bass the drums are doing some uh, really cool snare rolls at the top and then it's four bars of the guitars kind of just hanging out and ringing over the drums and bass, which basically begin verse number one. It's kind of a, a fake out there after the intro. You're waiting for something to happen, and then the vocals vocals finally pop in. Well, there is only one reason I stop in this place. Let me stress it, it ain't the cuisine. 
Eggs are all running, hash browns smell funny, and a coffee tastes like gasoline. But there's always the one thing that I've been looking forward to for the last 600 miles. In a slow motion pan, eight beers in each pan, what's here of heaven in a smile. Well, there is only one reason I stop in this place. Let me stress that it ain't the cuisine. The eggs are all runny, the hash browns smell funny, and the coffee tastes like gasoline. But there goes the one thing that I've been looking forward to for the last 600 miles. In a slow motion pan, eight beers in each hand, what's here of heaven in her smile. What's going on there? Yeah, you know, just sort of introducing the, it's A and B. Each verse is sort of introducing the characters, but I'm using, you know, just enough to set set up the, uh, it's all, it's all hanging on the, the lines, you know. Prettiest Waitress in Memphis is only going to be that way for a while. You know, it's just setting up her crap job. You setting up her lifestyle a little bit? Yeah, yeah. And you just, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm terminally Southern. So I have, um, I, I, I'm not afraid of like the humor aspect of things. And then I like to amuse myself a lot. Like the song to me is, uh, <laughs> I mean, it starts off with something that I like to do is it's just a, uh, it's like a bait and switch. It's like a, a chasing a little thing. It's like, there's only one reason I stop in this place. And then I go on for half a verse about w- the reasons it isn't. And it's like, it's like a very, it's a very Southern thing. It's like, you know, it's not the coffee. It's not these fucked up hash browns. It's like, you know, it's like the whole half of the first verse is me going, why I didn't come into the place after I introduced, there's only one reason I like to do the little pump fake like that. Um, I did. That didn't even jump out of me to you. Just said it. That's really funny. Yeah. And so it's, it, I find, you know, it's a, uh, Again, those things are like techniques, you know, a novelist will, will, if they have to introduce a lot of backstory or anything like that, they'll put it right before the other character will ask a question. And, and instead of this character answering a question, he'll go into this internal monologue about things. And so you're sort of hanging, waiting for that thing. And so that's just a little thing. I, you know, I want to get the description of the place and the CD atmosphere. And I, I got that in after, you know, introducing the question of well, what the fuck is this the reason you know, it's like the little little techniques like that um well there's certainly a lot a lot of imagery here to go to go off of and again i think some of these lyrics are, are, are really funny in, in, in a in a fantastic way uh it's just drums and bass uh through this verse up until gasoline and then the, and then the back half of the verse there's this single note guitar lick that comes in and then goes to like a two noter until the verse and it's it's just kind of nasty sounding and i want to ask you a couple things were the vocals double tracked here they sound they sound doubled yes they were yeah okay. i'm a fan of a loose a really loose double um yeah 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 i never it, i never try to really match myself that much i always like fucked up doubles no it's cool it has a it has a cool uh, little uh, dichotomy here that, that goes on with that and i can hear that and I, I thought that's what i was hearing the other thing here was this was this cut to pro tools or to tape that's see that was we did that in easily right before it burned down so that was tape yeah i think we were going to tape yeah. and was it cut pretty much bass drums and guitar live with some oh. overdubs and later oh, yeah yeah uh okay. i think i did the uh well, it was bass drums and the keys were live too. The Farfisa on that, or I can't remember if it's Continental or Farfisa or whatever. I think that was live too. Okay. And those uh, are what come those are what come in on the choruses, right? That's yeah, what I was Yeah, yeah. And I think okay. the only thing that I it overdubbed is just a you know, little freak out fuzz solo thing. Right, which you know, I I had tuned up and I always go through the songs. I try to try to play to the track so I can get an idea of arrangement and, and chords and what's going on. And and it almost sounds like you're in between E and E flat here. I it it's a little there's there's some tuning things going on. I know you have an ear. I know you can sing. I've listened to your other material. Was that intentional? Uh, no. I mean, again, we probably let's see who is on this one. You know, it might have been a necessity. We may have had to tune to the Continental or the the Farfisa. Maybe some, maybe one of the keys were a little out or something. That's interesting. And I can't, That's... I honestly don't remember. And it also might have been me going, all right, this guitar's in tune enough. Let's go. You know, I'm tuning the bass to it because I, I didn't give a, a lot of bucks back then. You know, well, no, and I that. think that. I think that goes along with what you were saying about the double track vocals. You wanted some looseness to be there. The the overdubs in this song, and we're going to get to those. Some of the guitar overdubs and string bending stuff is really nasty sounding. Oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. again, there's that tuning thing going on there. But I think that that's what makes the track special. Yeah, that was definitely on purpose. That was that was supposed to be a noise track. It was fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, we go right into chorus one. She's the prettiest waitress in Memphis, and I think she's flirting with me. 
extra special Slip the finger into my sweet tea Oh, but a small stack of singles From a hard double shift Will do terrible things to a smile And the prettiest waitress in Memphis Knows she's only that way for a while She's the prettiest waitress in Memphis And I think she's flirting with me do you say on this first course, been reading them specials or and reading them specials? The sound and here. I, I Who knows? My marble mouth. Uh, probably. Okay. Yeah, probably. Ben. That's, the, that's the only difference between chorus one and chorus two is that line. But we'll, we'll just say Ben. We'll keep it the same. Been reading them specials. Extra special. Slipped her finger into my sweet tea. Oh, but a small stack of singles from a hard double shift will do terrible things to a smile. And the prettiest waitress in Memphis knows she's only that way for a while. Yeah, just setting up the bit, you know, <laughs> setting up the twist at the end. And everything's just still pointing towards it, you know. And the, uh, you know, everybody's had that double shift when you got the stack of singles. Just little, you know, I, uh, little clever bits. I, I don't shy away from that if the song is, uh, you know, I write all kinds of different songs. And this song's just like a, you know, an entertainment song. It's like whatever, you know, it, it has... A little bit of pathos that pays off at the end, but mm-hmm. it's sort of setting it up like, you know, just a little, it's pretty light. You know, it's got the lines about the sticking her finger in my sweet tea and shit like that, you know. Just because your most popular song, and a lot of times here on the show, we try to go with a career defining hit. What's the most popular? Doesn't always mean it's your best song. And again, you have a ton of of, of great songs and material, but what's the reason you feel that the your listeners latched onto this particular track? Uh, I think I think it's the payoff at the end, and it's uh, yeah, and it's a pretty simple structure. It's 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 not a lot. If there's any layers going on, it's maybe a little bit in the verse, but it's a relatively straightforward, you know. And there there are little Easter eggs in the lyrics and the verses. I like to put a little of medicine in the verses here and there, but for the most part, it's a it's a one layer song, you know. The bit at the end, which shouldn't work uh, over and over, tends to work over and over. It, it just tends to have a payoff. There's a, I don't know why. Oh no, the the last chorus, I love the twist there and I, ca- I can't wait to get to it. That to me, once we got to that, I was like, okay. Now, <laughs> now you, now you kind of get the whole thing. And it's pretty it, simple. Brings... I mean, you can see where yeah. it's going. It, it's, you know, it's not like it's a, a very sophisticated sure. song, but it's it's got a thing. And then- It doesn't, it do, doesn't yeah. need to be. Yeah, yeah. I think when I wrote it, it was more of a. Um... Uh oh, folks! He's grabbing the guitar. This is getting good. <laughs> yeah, you know. this, is getting, this is getting good. <laughs> but I think because uh, the riff itself, because you know, we cut it just kind of like you know, uh, Ramon Z replacementy, sloppy rock. Yeah. And, you know, um, but the riff itself is a is a like a. Um... It's it's a like a. a... It's a Mexican Valley <laughs> riff. <yeah. laughs> You know, it's one of those. That kind of thing, you know. And I think I had written it in, you know, there's only one. Oh, it's just that it ain't cuisine. It's all right. Hash browns smell funny. The coffee tastes like gasoline. Yeah, I might have written it in a, you know, probably more of a Marty Robbins style, I think. And then I was, Interesting. No one dared to ask his business, no one dared to make a slip. The stranger there among them had a big iron on his hip, big iron on his hip. You know, and then I was just truly bored with it. And so I was like, no, let's just make it a rocker. How did the Farfisa come into play here, Corey? Uh, you know, it's... Uh... The whole uh, it almost we... seems like an odd choice for this track. Well, when I, was, I, yeah, I guess when we started raving it up, I'm always just drawn to like you know the Elvis Costello type thing, and you know that's sort of inevitable. I'm gonna add Elvis into here. You know, <laughs> I have four really different uh, influences that I was hearing in this track. I wrote down the Jam, the Super Suckers, Tom Petty, and Johnny Cash. I'm getting elements of all of that in here. Interesting. In a really cool way. Yeah, the Cash may be the sort of slightly Spanish thing that's in there a little bit. Yeah. Hey, everybody, don't go anywhere. We got more with Corey Brandon after a few words from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service. 
that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits, to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash demakes. And now, back to the show. Well, here in the chorus, uh, you get the stereo guitars. They come in here with a um, strumming chords uh, until Memphis, that line. It's only the first uh, first line. She's the prettiest waitress in Memphis. After this, it's eight-note palm muted uh, until the word T. And then the strumming uh, happens for the rest of the chorus. How did that come about? How, was that just the way you were playing it? Or it's, it's really interesting where you had the strumming mixed with the eighth notes. I like to always, uh, you know, again with the pump fakes, you know, because it, 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 it's it's all, it's closed off. You know, it's the, it's the closed eye hat, open eye hat, Ramones thing. But I, the chorus comes in. She's a prettiest waitress in Memphis, and I and I'm like, lock it back down right there. It's it, so cause good because there's still a story to tell. You know, it's not it's not like it's going straight to the hook. So it's a little, a little bit longer chorus. So I'm like, let's open it up. It's the chorus. Nope. It's like almost like a verse still. You know, and then then we the back half of the chorus opens up. You know, so it's just it's just like you know just a necessity to tell stories. <laughs> you know. Like if it was just full blast the whole chorus, it would. I don't think it would work. You know. Yeah, it's 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 interesting how how you went back and forth. Like I could have seen it starting off maybe palm muted and then going the other way, but this way I think works brilliantly. I love the second half of the chorus, the hand claps, the yeah, just... those come in. It just adds this like I don't know par- party element. And on reading them specials on that line. There's like this, it almost seems out of time. There's this jarring snare hit. Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's to lock it back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so, but it's so weird. I've listened to, like I said, I listened to it like 30 times. I can't get over if it's musically correct or not. It doesn't matter if it is. It's just, it's cool. Yeah, that was Robert, uh, Robert Barnett. That's Robert Barnett on drums. Yeah, okay. Uh, and he's, uh, he's like, what do you want here? I'm like, just... 50s drums meets you know like punk drums i'm like you know <laughs> wipe out meets uh you know whatever so he's he's got the you know little <laughs> like the crazy little yeah fills on there that one snare there is just tripping me out man <laughs> like i said i listened to i'm like what is going on here it, it sounds every third time it would sound right and every fourth time it would sound wrong and then it would flip every third time it would sound you know i was just going what is this but i think it's awesome you would have to ask him i, I imagine it comes from uh just us not knowing what the fuck we were doing we uh because i like to i like to go for that sort of lightning in a bottle thing and so when i do uh yeah i these guys didn't have this music we sat on the floor and then i you know i write them I write it. I arrange it. I've got all the parts in my head. I've got hell. I, I know what the want the bass lines to do, and the key, I just hear all these things. That's great. And then I surround myself with better musicians, <laughs> and I show them the structure. And when they have, uh, when their instincts are better than mine, when they do interesting things, I'm like, "Yep, that's what it does there." And then you know, so I try to uh, 
just kind of capture lightning in a bottle. So we had to work these songs up. You made a career out of that too. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good formula. I, I, my, well, the actual formula is uh, uh, overqualified, underprepared musicians. That's what that's what I like to get. I'm gonna make a T-shirt that says that. I love it. Um, there's a reintro here. It's the same as the top for four bars after chorus one. Then there's four more bars of the, those guitars again, hanging over the bass and drums. And then there's this ugly pick slide that takes us into verse two. I just love it. It's just got a got a bunch of fuzz on it. My name, though it's been several months since I passed through this way She said she's lived here all of 23 years I said I'd be here for a day Ordered the pecan pie and the wick of an eye Got a slice as big as my head And her name and her number on a sweet and low package Is the best poem that I've ever read Steve Selvage taught me that pick try uh, slide trick when you're recording Cause uh, <laughs> I was I couldn't get these pick slides to sound right, and he's like, he's like, oh man, just use a couple credit cards. Just grab the credit card, run it down all six strings or whatever. I was like, oh shit. So yeah, that's a couple credit cards. Uh, probably not mine at the time. I don't think I had a credit card. <laughs> um, but yeah, just you had to borrow, borrow your mom's credit card. Hey mom. Yeah. Hey mom. No, it, it's <laughs> Don't all, sign it's, on this pick slide. It's awesome. It 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 sounds nasty. It takes us right into verse two. I'm going to read these lyrics and something, a couple things, but one thing very interesting in verse two that I, I, I'm looking forward to talking about. Here's the lyric. Well, somehow she remembered my name, though it's been several months since I passed through this way. She said she lived here all her 23 years. I said I'd be here for a day. Ordered the pecan pie and in the wink of an eye, I got a slice as big as my head. And her name and her number on a sweet and low package is the best poem that I've ever read. <laughs> yeah, that that, that that whole leads up to that line. Yeah, that's that's the actually the only line in the song that I still like. <laughs> <laughs> I I love it. I I, I wouldn't picture a, a, a southerner in a diner uh, not not using sugar, using sweet and low. I like that as well. Oh yeah, and, and the thing is that that's actually a true story that happened to me. I was a I was a waiter in a Mexican restaurant in Mississippi, and a girl left me her number on a sweet and low package, and I was just like, <laughs> I was like, well. Later on, I was like, oh, man, that's just too good. That's got to go in somewhere. Got to save it for a lyric. Well, again, <laughs> uh, in, in verse two, it breaks down again to the drums and the bass for the whole verse, uh, except the back half where that guitar lick comes in again uh, and kind of just that single note that kind of builds up. Uh, on the last line, the drums stop here, and then the band stops before chorus two. We'll talk about that in a moment. But there's one thing here in verse two that really stood out to me, Corey. On the line, it's not the whole thing. You say ordered the pecan pie. So starting on pecan pie and in the wink of an eye, I got a slice as big as my head. On that line, there's the only harmonies we hear in the song. Day, order the pecan pie in the wink of an eye. Got a slice as big as my head. And her name and her number on the sweet. Why there? I just they just wanted something, you know. And I, I again, I don't. If if I had had a producer, they would have been like, "Don't do that." <laughs> you know? But me, I'm like, it just wants a lift there, it just wants something. And I I I heard a story one time about <laughs> it was when Jim Dickinson was working with uh, Big Star or whatever, and they had a track and they had done all these vocals with Alex Chilton, and Alex is like, "Ah, let me get this line here," and Jim's like, "Well, we don't have the the mic set up." He's like, "That's fine." He's like, "Just give me a 58." And he went in the rain. He's like, okay. He just did the 58 and he just sang that line. You know, the other was like on a U47, nice microphone, EQ'd a certain way. Threw the other one in. It didn't sound anything like the other. He's like, and then he threw it in the track. And his, and Jim was like, yeah, I can hear the difference. He's like, who gives a fuck? You know, it's uh -huh. like, it's like, cause, and then later on, you're like, after a while, it's just, that's just the way that shit sounds. It's like, who gives a fuck? You know? Yeah. It's and, a, and for, for the listeners, you know, sometimes I like to, to break it down, Corey, you know, a U47 microphone's a couple thousand dollars and a 58 costs a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't matter uh, how expensive something is. If you're going for that vibe, all of a sudden you're singing a, the, the $200 mic and it, it, it's magic. Yeah. Yeah. And I heard, and it could be apocryphal, but I've heard all the Tom Petty stuff in studio was still like a 58. Like, like I heard he used the 58 as old thing. But, that is uh, awesome. But yeah, no, I, I, so it, it helps me because I, I tend to obsess. I do have that, 
that is my nature i uh, i'm on meds for it sometimes but uh it helps me i used to deal with it by not giving any fucks because i would want to care too much about the infinite, sure. infinite minutia of a thing so then i'd be like okay i can't care about any of this and as i get older i found a balance to where i, I don't have to I don't have to know what every knob in the studio does to learn what this piece of equipment does. You know, um, and so right. I found a balance, but then I didn't have a balance. So then I was just like, I would find all these, like we do, we find principles to suit our worldview that we already have tendencies for. And so any story I would hear that uh, like Alex Chilton, not giving a fuck or, or, you know, these sort of things would be like, okay, yeah, I need that. That's how I need to be. Cause it's not how I am naturally. So. <laughs> well, as, as my listeners know, I probably pay more attention to harmonies and their placement in songs than anywhere. It's, it's intrigues me from doing this podcast. I mean, I always kind of knew harmonies and this and that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at picking out harmonies, but I, I just trip out at where people put them in songs. And the fact that you only have it here and it's nowhere else. I was like, I have to talk about this. <laughs> I, and I, and I, I love your answer. It's like, I don't know. I think it needed some that, that that's the perfect answer. Um, I also find singer songwriters, especially those that use a lot of imagery storytelling as these lyrics are a lot of times there isn't a lot of harmonies. It, you want to have that personal tone of this is just me telling a story, but those harmonies are perfectly placed. I'm glad they're in that verse. I think they work well. Chorus two, after after verse two, like I said, the drums stop and then the band stops on the word red on verse two. And then on she's the, it's the band hitting bang, bang. And there's these two nasty, I wrote in, in my notes, <laughs> nasty single guitar overdubs on the she's the. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's a little Sabbath bend. Yeah, yeah. 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 Anytime I can get a slight little Sabbath bend in it sharp, you know, I, I, I go for that. She's the prettiest waitress in Memphis. No, she's flirting with me. Been reading them specials, extra special. Shook the finger in a my sweet tea. Over a small stack of singles. A hard double ship will do terrible things to a smile. And the prettiest waitress in Memphis. No, she's only that way for a while. Uh, the lyric here in this chorus is the same as chorus one, which lends itself to being the same. And, and, and we're going to find out why when we get to the last chorus. Uh, so this one ki kind of had to be the same. Second half has those hand claps again on the line. Uh, my sweet T, the second line on T. There's a really cool snare fill and placement here that is different from uh, chorus one, which again, I could tell this wasn't pro tooled and just slapped together. Same as chorus one. And you can feel that. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, I've never, never built a track like that. As far as, uh, yeah, yeah, some folks will, you know, build a track, you know, out of oh, we got this verse, let's copy it, paste it, or, or, you know, and don't get me wrong, I like Pro Tools, it's fine, it's, it's, it's a, <sighs> it's a great tool if it's not used as a crutch. Yeah, 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 and it's just, I mean, because I have to, you know, I'm an independent musician, you know, I'm on, I'm on labels, but they're, you know, independent labels, and so you got to work fast, and it, 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 you got to work. Uh, you know, can't be in there for months, you know, can't be in there for weeks, frankly. And so right. it's, uh, if the track is great and the bass player flubbed, the, you know, he rushed a note, you know, in a, I mean, I like it if it's fucked up, you know, but if it's like so fucked up that it's like drawing attention from the song, it's like, okay, scoot it. I don't give a shit, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I think my engineer, uh, which is like the total sin for everybody is, uh, I think he tuned my vocals a little bit, you know. I mean, I know he did on the on this last record, which I don't usually have a problem singing. Uh, I don't usually have a problem with pitch or anything, but there were some, you know. I think there were some tracks where I, yeah, I was a little bit sick and stuff when we were recording the record, and I, I think he went in and tuned some things. And uh, I was like, as long as I can't hear it, you know, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't give a shit, you know. It's like he's like he's like no, he's like I'm not gonna tune. He's like I'll tune it seventy percent. He's like I'm gonna not do this thing where it's, you're not gonna be believe and laugh out to the. <laughs> he's like you won't hear any of it and so to me i'm just like whatever man it's like because we got i can't spend all 
my life in the studio. I would love to do it. Who knew, folks, with Corey Brand, we were going to get an impromptu uh, Sharon impersonation. <laughs> I, 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 no, no idea going into this. That was great. Uh, we get the uh, the third re-intro here uh, for that same intro as the top. This time it's eight bars here after chorus two with some cool bluesy, and I'm using the word again, nasty sounding string bends, guitar string bends. Then we go into the guitar solo for eight bars, and this is just your classic, reminds me of just your, your, your classic rock and roll Chuck Berry type solo. dumbass solo yeah it's i mean that's it, it, that's what the song wanted just some dumbass guitar yeah. yeah, it's a, a rock and roll solo. It's a over the chorus uh, chord progression. And then right out of that, we get another four bar reintro with those cool string bends again that now get us into chorus three. And this is where the whole thing takes a turn. <laughs> Prettiest waitress in Memphis She spilled her heart all over me In a way she was right as I held her that night She said this will all change eventually I love this, how this breaks down here The lyrics completely change here But uh, it's broken down to just one guitar uh, Playing these kind of chugs almost It's not really eighth notes And the lyric is Well, the prettiest waitress in Memphis She spilled her heart all over me and the way she was right as I held her that night. And she said, this will all change eventually. And so, you know, your your brain set up for the, you know, this is going to beat me down. I'm not going to be the, you know, there will be prettier waitresses, you know, after, after uh -huh. this life beats me up. You know, it's just a simple setup for the punchline. And I love on eventually there's like this ring out of this arpeggiated guitar that happens. This just thing. And then... The guitar by itself again just kind of strums and you say the next two lines and i wrote you know the notes very personal here in your delivery and a tone it's like you're talking to me the listener yeah yeah that is out of time it's you know we, we yeah, out of time it, yeah yeah it's not really lining up but it, but it feels real it feels real because she ain't the prettiest waitress in memphis no more but it's not what you're thinking you see, the prettiest waitress in Memphis just quit, and she's leaving Memphis with me. Well, the prettiest ex-waitress in all of Memphis is leaving Memphis with me. Because she ain't the prettiest waitress in Memphis no more, but it's not what you're thinking, you see. The prettiest waitress in Memphis just quit, and she's leaving Memphis with me. Now, the prettiest ex-waitress in all of Memphis is leaving Memphis with me. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a little, you know, punchline. I guess you won. You, 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 this is a, a happy ending. Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the whole thing, you know. It's, that's, you get a little bit of a payoff because it's uh, you're just expecting someone to be beat down by life. And it's like, no, she said, fuck it. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, after those first two lines here of this part, uh, where I, where I had mentioned it's very personal in your delivery and your tone, these eighth note guitar and drum buildup happens on the next line. The prettiest waitress in Memphis just quit. And, uh, on the, the line following that, there's this great drum fill. Oh, yeah. It launches. Yeah. It's just <laughs> really kind of out of nowhere. The drums don't, aren't that flashy through the song until that moment. Yeah. And that fill happens that gets us to that last line. Then at the end, because again, this is to me the central feature, the main hook of the song, we get a four bar outro. That main guitar rift is now joined on the panned over to the right speaker by a higher octave lick just for that one time. Yeah, I don't even remember doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I always say this on the show. I had to listen to it four or five times and rewind the song. I'm like, why does this sound different than the other ones? I couldn't figure out. I'm like, oh, now I hear it. There's a higher guitar off to the right. Nice. I, yeah, I, that would have been me. I don't. I, I was the only guitar player on, on that song. I guess, again, it probably just needed something. It's very cool. What did you think? after this song was tracked and you're, and you're, you're listening back to it. Did you think it was going to resonate how it has with your fans? I know it's hard as songwriters, as musicians to, to, you know, think that, but sometimes we do like, man, I think, I think my, my fans are going to really like this or was it just another track in the bunch uh, on the album, 12 songs. No, I knew, I knew it already worked. Cause like, you know, uh, it was so long a gap between the first record and the second record. And I had written so many songs, you know, I just want, I just couldn't get back in for, you know, business, you know, how, damn businesses and sure it just couldn't get back in to record and uh so this i had already road tested a lot all these songs probably and so i knew that that i knew that that worked you know i knew that the turnaround were and so um but again i you know i was i was playing it a little bit swung you know yeah and so i i didn't know how it would go over as a just a straight ahead rocker you know uh, is there a reason why you didn't stick to that swing feeling you were talking about uh because it bored me you know it, it was boring singer songwriter music a, a traditional uh folk i love i love traditional folk forms and stuff like that i have you know and i use them when they work when they're effective and a song needs when it's the most effective way to tell the story and it just wasn't with that the, the more spirited way was the the way to tell that story you know because it, it, it you don't have the catharsis at the end it seems like more of a punchline if you're doing it like a singer songwriter song and, and for some reason you know if you do the if the music's already more fun you know the humor doesn't seem as uh kitsch or doesn't seem as uh you know goofball you know because you have the you're bopping along with it anyway you know maybe, maybe that's it and sometimes i'll i'll do the opposite you know i have a couple records ago i have a song about police brutality and like a racist from the point of view of a racist killer cop and it i used the music super catchy in that as a almost an experiment to be like oh yeah try not to listen to these lyrics you know like people uh -huh. people sort of want to look away from the problem i'm like you're going to be bopping along to some fucked up shit but i make sure <laughs> i make sure the first line yeah, is, yeah yeah and the first line is like you uppity little ghost it's before any music comes in i'm like Try not to listen to the lyrics after I say the word uppity. You uppity little ghost. Don't you even know you're dead? We police the pack. Your future's in your head. We've hollowed out our bodies. So then I'm just like, you know, I made it as catchy as possible to fuck with the lyrics. Sometimes you yeah. can support the content with the with the form. Sometimes you can subvert it, you know. That's awesome. Well, one last thing here before we break. Have you played this at every show since you wrote it? No, no, no. You know, mm -hmm. so this isn't like a staple that you're, if you don't play it, the, the fans are going to riot. Well, no, thing. I mean, I do. I play it. I would say I play this one and like Talking Grass and uh, Tame and a handful of the early ones. I would play them, you know, 50% of the time. Yeah. Um, pe people sort of, you know, they want those songs, which is nice. It's great. For sure. But I just, I sure. just have, you know, so many over so many years. And so I just try to mix it all up. And lastly, anything you like to leave listeners? What's going on with you? Tour dates coming up? New music? What's happening? Yeah, uh, dropping on a new record uh, mid October, like October fourteenth. It's called "When I Go, I Ghost." Yeah, it's, uh, and and the tour starts then. I go shit. I don't even know where I go. Northeast, I guess. Southeast, and then Midwest, and then maybe in December, they're looking at Texas. Uh, it'll all be on the website and stuff. Uh, just my name dot com. Awesome, man. Well, Corey, thank you. Thank you so much for sitting with us. It's been a blast breaking the song down. I appreciate it. Adam, my absolute pleasure. It was fun. Thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Corey Brandon. We got lots more Chris to make some podcast after a few words from our sponsors. So don't go anywhere. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, 
And my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. If you like music and you like podcasts and you like to laugh and you like to learn, you need to immediately subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Each week on the One Hit Thunder podcast, we dive deep into the story and back catalog of a one hit wonder band or artist. From there, we have a good healthy discussion as to whether they brought the one hit thunder or were nothing more than a one hit wonder. We have a huge back catalog and we've done episodes on everything from Don't Worry, Be Happy and the Macarena to King of Wishful Thinking and Cumbersome. I promise you're going to love the show more than Jaquan loved getting tipsy and even more than Bobby Boris Pickett loved making alternate versions of the Monster Mash. Subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your podcasts. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to ban you might not know at gmail.com this week's featured artist is the anchorage from salt lake city utah who have a very unique take on ska and alternative rock the band consists of Derek Harmon on guitar and vocals jason bowman on drums evan wharton on trombone jake bills on bass miles lawrence on tenor sax barry sax and guitar and tyler webb on the trumpet their third full-length album entitled wild stories is out now here's a snippet of their song when I'm in the grave. The Rap with Chris and Chris. Man, Chris, just witnessing that conversation, I had so much fun because I could tell how much fun Corey was having. I laughed and you guys were laughing. I thought that was an awesome episode. Yeah, it was interesting. A lot of times, and I, I funny, this last tour I did with Less Than Jake, I had to have fans of the podcast come up and be talking to me. And they're like, it's so funny how... You can hear at the beginning of interviews, people are a little bit leery or like wondering what's yeah. going on or what he's going to, is he going to ask me where I got the band name from for the 500th time? And, and all of a sudden you start to see their guard go down when they see that we're focusing on the song. And that kind of happened a little bit with Corey he started really getting into it. it. It was a blast. I see that so many times where I'll tell you, Chris, I start getting a little bit anxious when you're like, okay, I'm going to read the first verse because I don't know how many of the guests have heard the show before or know that they're going to have their lyrics recited back to them. So once you get through the first set of lyrics you read and that person is like, oh, okay, this is how we're going to do this, then I relax a little bit and then I see the guest relax and I see the conversation just start to flow from there and I think this episode was like a perfect example of that yeah he uh, and of course the listeners can't see I'm always on zoom with the guest he he lit up from ear to ear his smile when I started reading that first he's like oh this is where we're going with this <laughs> yeah hey, Chris I gotta tell you when I maybe it was just the inflection that you were reading the lyrics with or something but when these lyrics from this song are spoken the way you did. It reminded me of a Shel Silverstein poem. And I bet you, and I bet Corey would have taken that as a giant compliment, considering Johnny Cash made it a Shel Silverstein poem into a song, you know, Boy Named Sue. So I think that that would have been a compliment. Corey, if, if you're listening to this right now, I mean that as a big compliment. That is funny. One of my first songs that I ever did uh, wrote with Vinny was uh, to a Shel Silverstein poem, Where the Sidewalk Ends. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, maybe uh, maybe I'll break out the acoustic and play it for everybody one of these days. But yeah, that, that's that's really uh, really strange that you, you, you put two and two together with that. That's, that's cool. 
It's funny. I don't want to get too far into this, but Shel Silverstein, when I've been thinking about that recently, I was so into him as a little kid that I feel like he's a big influence on so many things that I like in my sense of humor and everything. I feel like he was such an influence on me that I haven't realized until recently. I'd almost bet anything that Brett Gurowitz uh, listened to a little Shel Silverstein or or, or, or read his stuff. Yeah, I bet. Um, And speaking of that, one thing that Corey said that I thought was funny made me laugh. He said that when he's writing songs, writing lyrics, that he is terminally Southern, meaning (laughs) that he's not afraid of the humor aspect. And then I asked myself, does Corey think that's a Southern thing? Because I'm Northern and I I feel the same way. Yeah, I I think maybe where he was going with it, Chris, is like the self-deprecating thing, you know, and and not taking yourself seriously. And I don't know, you know, as I mentioned earlier in in the show, I talked to him just about having that thing. I don't know it's, you know, because he went to church and had that gospel background, but there's something about that twang in his voice. You can't learn that. That's not learned behavior. You either have that or you don't. If I tried to, you know, put up, put out a Corey Brandon uh, impersonation, I'd be laughed out of the room. You, you, I, you just can't do that. I would assume that Corey has been speaking and singing the way he has since he could, <laughs> since he could first speak and since he sang his first song. I would assume that that's something. Yeah, that's inherent. It's not put on. Not at all. Uh, yeah, and I, and I just love everything about uh, just his brutal honesty of the track. He's like, yeah, we, you know, come to think of it, we, we might attune to the Farfisa, which is the keyboard. We, we might, we might attune to that because yeah, the, the tuning's funky. I would tune up my guitar and I just couldn't get into the key with this thing. It's funny. You called me last night and you, were, <laughs> you and I were talking about it. You're like, I can't really figure it out. And then once he said that maybe they, you know, tuned to the Farfisa, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Why you can't, you can't find exactly where it's at to play along. Uh, I thought it was really funny that he said that, and I feel this same way. I feel like I always surround myself with very talented people. I feel very fortunate in that aspect. But he said that in the studio situation he's in, he's always around overqualified, underprepared musicians. And dude, honestly, that's sometimes when magic happens, when it's not overthought, you know? Yeah, I told him I've, I've built a career out of that. I could relate to that so much, and I know he was kind of trying to make a joke there, but uh, there was there's a lot a lot of truth in that statement. I I love the lyrics of this. I want to go back to them. They they made me laugh. I love the turnaround on chorus three, how everything changes there, and it's kind of a aw shucks happy ending that happens here, albeit tongue in cheek. Right. I loved when you got into the the sweet and low conversation. To me, <laughs> I'm over here talking to you guys with my mic muted, going, it makes sense that you would use the sweet low because all the sugar has been taken the sweet low no one's using that that's where he'd write the note i think that's an awesome lyric you know from the second he wrote that he had to be like yeah damn this is like a classic lyric uh, i like that he talked about the credit card pick slide trick have yeah. you used that trick chris no i haven't which makes sense because cr- credit cards are way thicker than most picks and they have way more surface area they're way bigger i'm gonna steal it and use it on the next lesson jake <laughs> right and the one more thing that i wanted to talk about real quick was you guys got into a little bit of microphone talk. Yes. And that's not something, you know, 120 some episodes in the Chris Makes a Podcast, there really hasn't been a lot of talk. And yes, you can use a microphone that's $15,000 or you can use a couple hundred dollar uh, 58 or Chris, something else, the mics that you and I are using right now, SM7s, very popular to use on podcasts. But The rumor is, and Chris, I don't know if if you know this, and maybe I could be wrong. I've been told this for a long time, but that Michael Jackson used an SM7 on Thriller. Uh, That is correct. I I have heard it, and it is true. It's a $400 microphone you and I are talking into, which in the grand scheme of things, this is not an expensive microphone. You can get one right now, $399. Uh, But yeah, it's all about the vibe. And we don't get into tech talk too much here on Chris Makes a Podcast. We don't want to lose listeners. I've had a number of you (laughs) say, why don't you get into amp setups and this and that? I'm like, man, I want to start losing listeners real quick. I'll go into that. But yeah, I I felt it was needed to touch on that in this particular episode. I would stop listening to our own podcast if you started going down that road <laughs> if this turns into the to the i i am the least gearhead ever and uh yeah this is not the podcast for that no offense to anyone that's into it it is it is cool and interesting to some people just not to me but if you like interesting things chris 
you might want to check out The After Party, which is our bonus podcast that you get if you're part of the Krista Makes a Podcast supporting cast. That's right. Go to KristaMakes.com. You can sign up for the price of a cup of coffee or two a month. You can get bonus episodes of Krista Makes a Podcast called The After Party with Chris and myself. It's a lot of fun. And if you haven't already, please... Please, please, I stress, tell people about it. If you don't have a Facebook account, make a burner one. Make a fake one. Go join the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook page. Over 4,000 members. I think we have like 4,200 members and counting now, Chris. It's ever-growing. Amazing discussions in there. We learn so much from you, the listeners. We love your feedback. And also, please give me a follow on Instagram, at D. I'd love to have a follow. want to thank this week's guest, Corey Brandon, and we'll see you next week. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little, little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. And my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics... Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe Grind Podcast.